one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host with the most, as always, bringing you the best of season six, because right now, this motherfucker and I go way back. And uh, to put it nicely, he called me really tenacious one time because I've been trying to get him on the show for five years. He finally came back. I'm glad that he's- Seven years, bro. I think it was seven. (laughs) It has been seven, but like, let's be honest. I only said five because the show's been rolling for six, but it's been a long time. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) No, no, because you were the first people I wanted to get in season one, but you didn't. I couldn't get you in season one, which really got me. So you guys probably heard him, and you guys can see by the title who it is. It's none other than my big brother, the big Papa Bear himself, or uh, Brother Bears, I like to call him from time to time, Big Chris McCombs. Dude, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. And you're real good at that. You're, you, the way you do the whole, uh, you're professional at it, bro. You're, you're, <laughs> I like the way you do the hostess with the mostess. What did you say? I'm the host of the most, as always. It's basically how it is. I just always approach it I because it, I, I bring the best because I want I want the best of people. This is the same show that got uh, Bond Halbert to admit something exclusive that he never admitted on another show before. I got my friend Courtney. Uh, she told a story about. I that. love Bond. What did what did what did Bond did? I do not remember. It was three years ago. It, it's insane. So guys, go check back and listen to that episode with Bond because he even Great. says it. He calls me a motherfucker off air and then told me. Uh, told me that he didn't recall me all the fuck. He told yeah, me something. One of my heroes. So his dad is. He was his dad was one of my greatest. Uh, one of the greatest people I studied, and I wouldn't be where where I am today without him. So bond for you and your family. Thank you. So real quickly, I want people to know this about you. For the people who don't know, Chris has been running his own blog. Uh, several blogs actually. Two in particular, Kickback Life. If I remember correctly, was it was. Tell me if I'm right. And uh, yep, Kickback Life. And you also had. Chris McCombs, that's M-C-C-O-M-B-S dot net. This is one of the best websites online. I mean, first of all, if you study it from a copywriter's perspective, you will learn a shit ton about writing persuasive copy. And this is coming from a guy that's done over $700 million in sales. I still follow No, no, no. This. I'm not a $700 million in sales guy. You think that's you're thinking me. Ian Stanley. Or, oh, you. You've that's done me. over $700 Holy I'm shit. The- Oh, that's good. I'm talking about myself here. I'm the 700 million sales guy. Thank wow. You. So that, that, even that, to this day, I still study your blog. And there is a bunch of reasons why. But particularly, it's because you are able to take people that are doing six, seven, eight, and even nine-figure-year businesses and entrepreneurs, people that were the face of their company, you know, personal brands. And the craziest thing is how you quickly you're able to formulize how to build essentially a cult of devoted customers and clients that just buy over and over and over again. Like I'm, I've told you for years now, if you ever released a product, I would be the first in line to be like, yep, right here. If I can afford it, the money's going right down because I really, I, I love everything that you've done. So this interview for you guys listening is going to be very special because I'm going to fanboy a hell of a lot. Uh, I'm going to ask Chris a shitload of questions and we're going to discuss a lot of random shit that we're both into, including movies, but you'll see how it relates to everything. So I'm going to shut the fuck up in a moment. I'm going to ask my first question to you more than anything is why blogging? Why, why is blogging kind of making a resurgence right now? Like I've seen so many people start doing it again. Hell, I started doing it again. That was on you though. First of all, that was a great introduction by the way. And, and, and I'm always honored and humbled and a little embarrassed. And, um, uh, for me, blogging works because, man, I am an 
I'm introverted, socially awkward. I write better than I talk. I can go back and like, it's much more time consuming than if I were to do, sometimes I go, shit, I wish I just did videos. Like, because you could just bust them out, right? Right. Instead of pain over every word for fucking hours on end. Um, but I, I enjoy writing. I have since I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, I wrote a story about how I fucked, I was, I was probably nine years old. I wrote a story about how I, it started out the summer. It was a short summer, the summer I murdered my family. And I wow. talk, I killed my family. I go to court. They got me in court. I fucking make the lights go out. I kill everybody, including the judge. I'm like fucking nine years old. Cause I was really into horror movies and shit. Right. Mm-hmm. My mom found this fucking story, bro. <laughs> so no horror movies for a year. Every Thursday I had to go see a shrink. It was like after school, it was, I've loved writing. And in, I was a huge Henry Rollins fan and I am to this Same. day. Same. His book, get in the van about, the black flag mm-hmm. i never was a huge black flag fan but um i like him but i just love the way he he his power with words the way oh man he's like, so amazing have you seen the stand-up set like he did a stand-up set where he basically like taught it was uh irish of first place dude the guy's a master storyteller oh he's fucking great he's he's one of my biggest in like we were talking about um Gary Halbert. So Gary Halbert, Quentin Tarantino, fucking Henry Rollins. I have these weird influences. Henry's huge one. Yep. So um, I've always loved writing. In my 20s, it was dark, methed out fucking poetry with black pa- black pen on black paper. Fucking, you know, just. Um, and then uh, I just love writing. So for me, a blog is perfect. And especially I like owning my content. Yeah. I like knowing if Facebook which most people, there's, I have a family connection to Facebook. Most people don't know, which is pretty weird. Um, my brother was head of business operations. Yeah. I remember you saying that you did. You did tell me about this at one point. Yeah. We worked with Zuckerberg every day. He's like, he was one of their top uh, team of 11 there. Zuckerberg, one of those, he was in that top core. Wow. Um, uh, anyhow, I got distracted. Okay. So I love writing, bro. I love owning my content. I don't want fucking YouTube to own it or Facebook or anything. I like leveraging other channels to point to it. I love writing. I love my content. I would write even if I don't get fucking paid for it. I've been working on a fiction novel for years. Haven't made a penny on it. Maybe yep. never will, but I love doing it. So for me, someone who's socially kind of weird, introverted, one of the reasons I put off this podcast as well as north of a hundred others i'm not trying to sound cool it's just that over the past there's been over a hundred people uh podcast requests in the last since going back that a lot of that started in 2012 when my blog took off 2013 and i turned them down one is because it's not because i'm fucking cool a lot of it's because man i'm just socially weird it, it, it it's kind of strenuous for me to get on and talk um like I need like a week alone in a room just by myself after fucking this. Right. So like, so uh, for the people paying attention at home, so I cut you off. It was like, yeah. So this took me like seven years, like, by the way, just, just to give you an idea, seven years. And I think you even told me like the third time I was like, dude, I, I want to, but it's not you. It's just me. I was like, cool. No worries. Just if you ever change your mind. I would type up the same thing and I always should think I should have this somewhere so I can just copy and paste it. But then it's like, and then it's like, I do go do yours. I'm going to feel like a dick to the other fucking 99 people. I've fucking said no to. Right. Um, so it's more of a social thing, but 
I can be a hero in my writing, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, um, in my in my writing, I can edit, and I'm not a good writer. I'm a, I think I'm a damn good rewriter. I edit and edit and edit and edit until I get it like the way it is. Not, now, I'm not just talking about like a simple email no. or even on my Kickback Life blog. I don't edit and edit and edit, stuff like that. But a lot of stuff, like if you go to my, my about page or something, that, that was edited and edited, edited a bunch of times to get it. I just wrote a book for a client called Marijuana Dawn. Yep. Or uh, one of my clients, Big Mike Stramitis. And uh, um, every chapter in there, I've probably written 10 to 20 times. Like I've been through and through and through. Um, Real proud of that book, by the way. But I just love I to write. So for me, I can't blog, wait. For, I can't wait to get a copy of it. It's like on my wish list for things to get. So, like, the only reason it's on my wish list is, um, so years ago, Mike Hill did this to me, and I've kind of like taken it and ran with it. So I was, God, what was it? It was around 2012. So I'm 21, 22 years old, broke as a fucking joke. Like, literally, no money in the bank. I think the most money I ever made at the time was like twenty four thousand dollars. And granted, this is like two, uh, let's see, I'm 22. I'm four years into my copywriting career. I've made my clients just shy of like 200 million at this point. And I'm still barely making like 25 grand because I, I have no concept of marketing myself. I still don't. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a horrible self-promoter and I'll, I'll put my hands up. I'm changing that in 2020. But at the time, Mike Hill reached, I reached out to Mike Hill. And Mike is a lovely fucking fellow. If you guys haven't heard the podcast we did together, I'll link you to it. It's very early season one or two. Um, Mike, I asked him for help and he said, I'll tell you what, how much can you pay for your consulting? I was like, I can't afford your consulting rate. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, get something for my truck. Cause he was living in Montana at the time. He's like, get something for my truck. It's like even for like 70 bucks. And he goes, I'll do an hour long call with you. Just get me something. So, you know, I did go around it. We had that call. It was amazing really good friend helped me a lot, helped me out a lot. Years later, I started to realize I can't do the thing where I hold back on phone calls. Like, you know, when someone goes, I got this problem, I have to solve the problem. Otherwise it drives me nuts. Um, and I realized I can't do the thing that everyone was doing, which was only give them like a little bit of the cheese and then like let them come closer until you, they can have the whole cheese wheel. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. I want to give you the cheese wheel right away. That's, that's kind of like the thing about me. So Mike was, uh, I took Mike's advice on it and I just started charging people um, a free gift off my wish list for 15 minutes of my time. And this was like stuff from like a collection of books all the way to like a MacBook Pro. Someone actually bought me a MacBook Pro to speak to me for 15 minutes to solve their problem in their business, which was fun. But the reason yeah. I say that is, Mar uh, what was it? Uh, Marijuana Don is actually on that wish list. And the only reason I've not bought it is because I know someone wants to get it for me. So I'm like, I'll let you buy this first. <laughs> cool. That's a, it's like the Wolf of Wall Street of weed meets Catch Me If You Can. It's, oh, it's fun. It's, I've spent thousands and thousands of hours in that, a few thousand hours in, in that book. But it's a, it's half, it's, it's gangster story turned entrepreneur, you know? And yeah. Guy was doing over 50 million a year illegally before cannabis came legal. Now he does over 100 million a year in the cannabis industry. And uh, Man, that's crazy how that's an industry that cropped up and has made so much money so quickly. Yeah, I well, I did time for it in the 90s. I, I, I remember you saying before it was before it was legal, where when it wasn't legal, where I lived, and that was that was uh, one of my 
one of my best friends was murdered across the street from me involved in all that. It was a crazy, crazy time, but now it's, it's legal and big Mike has this amazing hero's journey story. So that's I'm not cool, independent for him. Yeah, man, that's pretty cool. And again, you of all people, like you, the way you write is incredible. If you guys haven't seen it, one of your, one of my favorite posts is 37 ways to be a badass. That, 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 that one's popular. 35,000 shares on that motherfucker. That oh, one's like yeah, that one got really big. That, oh, that, that did well for me. And I don't, I did not try to make any money off that directly, but it's amazing how much business I've gotten because of people finding that post and be wanting me to write like that for them or yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. But that was, that one did good. That, that did good. And that brings me to like a question I have for you. So there is a line in my opinion that you don't cross when it comes to vulnerability. I still haven't found that line for myself because there's a thing that I, you know, I've been told by other marketers, dude, if you put this post out there, you're going to lose business. If you do this, you're going to lose business. You have to position yourself. You still need to sell, you know, the dream mm -hmm. of that you're doing good. I'm like, dude, I could be doing like, I did very well in 2019 and I've done very well for most of my life. But at the same time, it's like, I go through those depressive moments. I go through those moments. So I doubt myself. Clearly you and I have discussed this at no end's length. Uh, we both go through it. My question is, how do you know what to kind of write about and stop at that vulnerable point before it tips over? Like, how do you know to like find that balance? I've probably tipped it over more. I've probably gone across it and I know I've, I've probably cost myself business by doing it. However, when people hire me, they're the people I want to work with. They know everything, right? They've, they've accepted me. There's no, I don't have to put on a show. It's, it's, um, so I get to work with people I really want to work with. And there's something very cathartic about me. There's, yeah. I find something very cathartic in just putting it all out there. Uh, I've probably yeah. crossed the line, but I, you know, looking back, maybe I'd go with 85% of the shit I've admitted. Right. And yeah. not all of it. Um, uh, but fuck it. It's already out there. So it is what it is. It um, is what it is. Yeah. It, it, I, one thing, you know, when people see you admit shit, other people will never admit they're more likely to believe the other stuff. Cause they're, Holy shit. He'll admit that man, this dude's, you know, I wouldn't admit that. So he must be talking the truth about this other stuff over here. Right. It's so the, the, um, damaging admissions type thing. Right. Yeah. And it also, it connects with anybody. So if I talk about, you know, the, the drug stuff, whatever, people who were addicted to drugs, they, or had a family member, it, it helps connect with them. It's fun stories. I mean, my story is filled with all kinds of crazy shit, right? Dude, your stuff is a Tarantino movie whenever I read it. That's where I really see it because the one thing I love about Tarantino is how far he pushes the envelope on different um, emotions every time he does a movie. Like Django is one of the only movies like as its genre that makes me happy, sad, disgusted, wanting to cry, sorrowful, happy, and heroic all at the same time. I'm like, how do you do this to me in three hours? Yeah. <laughs> it's been a huge influence on me, man. Ever it's, you can see that in your dialogue is just it, it. It's his whole storytelling, but his dialogue has had such a huge influence on me as a writer, right? Because and. I've written a lot of dialogue like I did for Marijuana Dawn and I really had to get into like people like Aaron Sorkin and Quentin Tarantino who are masters of, of, of dialogue. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's had a huge influence on me, man. Yeah. Huge. So, so I personally would say 
I'm glad that you said what you said about like how far you actually share and what you share, because for me, it's cathartic as fuck. Oh. Like when I, when I wrote that whole, um, what's it called? The dark truth about being a copywriter, at least for this one, the post that I wrote, then I said, mm-hmm. Hey, could you go back and have a read of it? When I wrote that, I was in a state of mind where, when I wrote it, just to give you the, everyone a, a heads up on this, it was in December, 2019. Um, it was literally about a week after my G Suite had been hacked uh, and I was collateral damage. Basically, one of my junior writers got their G Suite hacked that was uh, connected to mine. And um, the person basically got in, rewrote and kept resaving a viral code over every page of copy that we did for the last five months. Auto saved it to the point that there was no auto saves left, which is 13. And then we had to delete it in the morning because it was basically, there was no way we can pull back any of the work. So five months of client work disappeared in the space of one night. And at the time I was pulling, uh, so there were seven clients, two refunded, which I still like, I sorted out. Um, And then there were five that were left and there's only one left that needs a hand in because I thought I handed it in and there was problems with the server. So that's got to go back and be done tonight. But essentially I was working 18 hour days, six days a week, like up to the lead up to Christmas, just to like keep the lights on and make sure that everything gets paid. And I couldn't take on any new clients. So just like really drained everything that was there with like savings and everything. So when I wrote that post, it felt like a part of me was free again. Like another part of me was just like, I can put this on paper and someone else can read it and go. So it's not just me feeling this because I remember the first time you wrote something that was a damaging admission of yourself as a writer, it was the first time I looked at it and went, holy crap, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that doubts himself. I'm not the only one that thinks that this shit is crazy. <laughs> like, thank God there's another human being that gets me. So uh, I'm, t- I'm right there with you. So that's excellent. But that now- I gotta close this loop in my mind. You're, you're backing up shit, not just in G Suite now, right? Like you- Oh, dude, I do it like, I don't like G Suite uh, backups anyway. Like for me, my backup system has always been, I have backup in pages backup in PDF, backup onto a hard drive, then put it on G Suite to send to the client and then back it up onto my own server. Like that's how like, like usually. This time, however, we didn't because the client just wanted it all done on G Suite. And they kept adding so many comments and edits throughout time. It was like, once they're happy with it and signed it off, then I can take it off then just put it as a hard copy for myself. Dumb move, but hey, we all live and learn, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm lucky early on, I hear Dan Thies tell, tell the horror story about having a list of 7,000 people and then and overnight he, his hard drive broke or something and he lost it all. And I heard that story back in like 2006 or so and I'm just, I'm, I'm anal with the backups. It takes me 10 minutes a day, man. I've got step in Scrivener and then Word and I've got it in OneNote and Evernote and, and Dropbox and OneDrive and Amazon Drive. So like the book, that I wrote, I had, and then I email shit to myself to three different emails. So I, I probably had 10 backups of anything important, right? Because that's a fucking nightmare. I can't stand going back and having to do some shit like that. So yeah, it's, it's. And you don't get paid for round two. You don't get paid for round two. No. You, you, you got it. You fucked no. it up. You got to, you got to take responsibility. It's one of the highs no. and lows of what we do. So my question realistically here from like, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about to do with writing because again, you're one of my heroes and again, one of my big bros. And I always say that. And the reason I say that, so for everyone else listening, wondering why that is, it's because 
when you can finally see someone else that's able to communicate the way that you want to communicate and you have a horrible crippling fear of communicating openly because like an upbringing it gives you hope that you can get there and for me over the years that's become more and more and chris has always been the dude that um has kind of led the way for me so thank you for that and that's the reason why i'm asking so many questions about your writing by the way it's oh, like, um, that's one of my favorite topics <laughs> And what you just said is a powerful place to be. Even as copywriters, you know, we know that if we can describe, I think Jay Abraham may have been the first one to say this. I could be wrong though. That when you can describe a person's problem better than they can, right? Yeah. That you, you've got them. And yep. that's, that's, that's same thing, you know? That's actually how I make a living. So if, do you mind if we like kind of, oh, 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 no, path play? so the way that, um, so I have a special skill and I'm going to send you the recording because you, I know you, you, you'd laugh your fucking ass off. Everyone else that's listening, I'll make a meme out of it or something, put it on the site when it goes live. Um, but I, when I was doing that event at the weekend, I, I was taking people through my endless content system and my story selling blueprint writing system, which is the 17 point system that I have on how people uh, communicate. And funnily enough, one of the guys in the room asked me, they're like, before they knew that we knew each other, they said, do you know big Chris McCombs? I was like, yeah. He was like, I was reading one of his blog posts. And then when you were talking about how you write your sales scripts, I could see similarities. I was like, that is like the biggest compliment you could ever give me. That's fucking awesome. Um, but secondly, what came out of it was I usually like to open the floor and be like, someone throw something out at me. Cause I love demonstrating verbalizing copy because my brain just the way it fires it's like stand-up comedy rap battling and now copywriting it's all like very quick fire thinking yep, yep. um and someone decided to be a bit of a joke and yell out male uh, what was it penis enhancement as like write a sales letter about that and i was like okay you motherfucker let's do this <laughs> And I li it's a one minute clip where he says it to me completing the headline, subheadline, and opening paragraph of this letter. You can literally hear this room of like 18 people going, holy shit, he's really doing this. That's so, a great demonstration of wizardry, man. Oh, dude, I will say I've had so many things. I've had someone yell out sell hookers. I've had someone else yell out, uh, what was it? Pharmacology. Another person say, sell me a zebra on stage. That was another one. I was like, fuck it. I'll accept the challenge and keep going. Well, that's dinner and zebra, huh? Yeah, that was the weirdest well, one. And, the, and the, the, that stuff is, you know, uh, penis I, stuff. Oh, that's a, but a zebra. Huh? Yeah, I just basically said, can I base my client in Texas? And he was like, well, I was like, so I'm pretty sure it's legal. They can have one of them. And the whole headline was like... <laughs> Do you want do you want to one up your neighbor that has actually do you want to get rid of your one neighbor that has a tiger in the in the back garden? Well, get a zebra and then claim life insurance. Just shit like that that was really ridiculous. I don't remember the whole list, but I went through it. And oh, the whole point awesome. the whole point was like again, Joe Rogan said it best. There are more tigers in captivity in um Texas than there are in the wild. So I was like, I'm drawing on that. <laughs> Love Rogan, by the way. Oh, uh, he's he's actually the inspiration for the show. Like one of the inspirations for the show of how I do this. Good. He should be. He's his and your style of just anything goes and stuff. Yeah, I, he's I love him, man. If I'm doing something around the house and I need something on the background, um, if I'm not putting some of Dan Kennedy on repeat, then I'm probably just putting on Rogan. Had it on last night. Put it on all time. Ah, oh, dude, it's awesome. When I heard him and Robert Downey Jr. do their show, oh, I listened to some of that last night. That was so good. 
like especially with the whole thing robert downey yeah he's he's like a remarkable dude though to be fair there is no one that's gonna ever replace iron man he's like cemented that role uh yeah man i'm a big huge john favreau fan same Uh, you know but uh he's a very likable Downey's a very likable guy and then even though he seems so superhuman in ways to know remember he was the guy like people came home and they found him sleeping in their fucking house right and he was running around getting busted with 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 uh with dope you know just that's the same guy who's gone and done this that shows you man some of the people i know who've gone the highest also went the lowest that same personality that 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 can focus on the the junkie has it the homeless alcoholic the serial killer has it the fucking guy who can't leave his house because he's looking at porn all day has it as does the billionaire the world athlete the world-class artist it's just where's that fucking focused, right? Like yeah. we, a lot of us, we have that gift of focus. And, and I know what it's like to focus on things that aren't good for you and things that, that are good. Yeah. It's, it's a balancing act. And that's something that kind of always gives me hope. Because like, uh, I'm 30. I remember on my 30th birthday, you and I had a really good discussion uh, about what I can do to make the next decade my most fun and my most profitable life. And you gave me some great advice on that. And uh, I thank you for that. But what... What really gives me hope is when I look at guys like you, like Robert Downey Jr., like um, even Big Mike, everyone. I think when you guys were 30, some of you guys were complete fuck-ups. Some of you guys were in like a worse situation than I'm in. Some of I you guys- I moved with my mom at 30. Right? So I was uh, 15 years of, of drug use and jail and homelessness, and I moved in with my mom, bro. Right. At 30. Exactly. At, yeah, at 30. So- so that gives me hope because then it's like, okay, I'm a little bit forward, but these are my heroes. These are my dudes. And now I can like, I don't have to go through the same experiences to get the knowledge from them. Yeah. Always the case. So always network. Now, one of the things I really wanted to ask you, like kind of taking it back to the blogging side of things, because again, 2020 things have changed like the next 10 years going forward. And uh, you figured this out years ago. And I think everyone else is starting to wake up to it. And it's this idea that stories sell more than content. Like a good story with great content mixed together is a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. My curiosity is, what do you, th- not what, but like, say someone who is the face of the company, without divulging all the strategy and, or any really, what should they be looking at as a way of getting that audience to come in, like calling out their audience and their blog? Like how, what do they need to do to like kind of go, yo, I've got this one piece that you need to all look at and that's going to draw you into my world. Um, I'll give you my answer. I don't know if it's the answer you're looking for. Uh, like, I don't know if I'm answering the question correctly, but let me just. It was a weird question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing is I don't hear enough of people's backstory on why they're doing what they're doing. Like, I want to hear their hero's journey. I want to hear, like, why is this guy a personal trainer? Why is this a coach? Or why are, you know, why are you a copywriter or a podcaster? And we've all, anyone's story, like, stories are fascinating. You could take the most boring fucking person, but if they give me their life story, it's probably pretty interesting, mm. right? And I just don't hear enough st- stories. Um like, uh, so a good place for a lot of people to start is their about page of their website or their blog is to, 
And if they don't know how to write a story, go research the, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell, hero's journey. You're going to find lots of free templates, Wikipedia page, lots of great information for free and tell your fucking story about why you do what you do. Netflix and YouTube have documentaries of him teaching this stuff. So guys, you guys got no excuse. Did they have the old PBS one? Yeah. The old PBS six-part documentary. That that, was that's on Netflix. Dude, that's on Netflix. Right? Fantastic. Now that goes a lot deeper. So your average personal trainer or coach might not want to sit and watch that whole fucking thing. To me, it's fascinating to you, but they can go to a Wikipedia page and get the, get the, the, the points they want to hit. But I, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And when people don't know why, then they think it's just about money and they don't think you care. So, and they, they want to know it's about something bigger than money that you care, right? And one of the best ways to tell that story, like when I was a person, that helped me a ton when I was a personal trainer, my weight's gone up and down like fucking Oprah, bro. Like I've, I've been too, you know, I've been tweaked out. I'm 6'6". Six, six. I've been like 150 pounds tweaked out. I've been Shit. 380 fat i've been 340 power lifter strong i've been 270 ripped to the fucking bone um and uh before i started my personal training business i'd lost 143 pounds and i told that story over and over and over and i made sure people saw the before and afters and they knew and that's why i do what i do because i want to help others with their journey i made sure that they that people knew that like you couldn't i'd optimize the website for Orange County, for any term in Orange County that had to do with fitness, weight loss, personal training, boot camp, anything. If you searched any of those terms with any city in Orange County um, back in the early 2000s, my shit was at the top of, of Google. And then you would right away know at least an element of my hero's journey story and why I'm doing what I'm doing and why, I'm, why, why I can help you, why I want to help you, and why I'm the, the right person, why hiring my company is, is the best. So I just think more people need a backstory of why they do what they do. Because if they don't do what they do, um, if they don't, then it, it seems like it's just about money, right? And is there a bigger why beyond the money? Exactly. I mean, it's one of the reasons why. And thank you for helping me pick out the title because I did go for it. It was Once Upon a Time in 2020, like finding your story. I like that. I, I, yeah, I like that. I love that comment. Now that we had Tarantino come out. With Once Upon a Time. Who played on the old uh, Sergio Leone, you know, what Once Upon a was Once Upon a Time in the West. And then we yeah. had Once uh, what was the other one? The uh, the fucking great one with De Niro. It was like four hour. The four hour version was great. Once upon a time in America? No, it wasn't Once Upon a Time in America. I'm going to look this up. Fuck it. I need my own young Jamie. I need my own young Jamie to do this. Uh, I can't actually say that. Young Jamie would be like 35 and I'm still younger than him. Um, once Upon a Time. Uh, what's his name? That's it, bro. Once Upon a Time in America. That's the one. Okay. Yeah, cool. there's a four-hour version. That's the one. That's the great one. The the it, that's one of the greatest movies of all time. But the 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 short version sucks. There's like a version that's like half of that long. Nah. They, they Dude, it, Anyhow, it's it's a it's, great it's, play on that. Yeah. Since just had the Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in 2020 is fucking great. Yeah, I mean it's a great thing to run with. And just quickly, like jumping off of this point very quickly as a side note, as we would do, um, have you seen Kingdom of Heaven? No, what is that? Okay, you got to watch the full director's cut, which is it was directed by Ridley Scott. It is, without a doubt, one of the best historically accurate depictions of the Crusades. No. Dude, it is so... In Rotten Tomatoes, those bastards only give it 39%. Is this the way that I can see a guy with a sword on the cover? Yeah. Uh, is that it's, it, some long hair dude? 
with yeah, a, it's with uh, Orlando Bloom. Like the whole thing. Oh, is, is it okay? Okay, yeah, you, you got to watch like the full version because like the full ver- like the cast is incredible. It's got Eva Green, um, Orlando Bloom when he was in his prime, Liam Neeson, uh, what's his name, Edward Norton's in it as well, but he's masked, so you don't really see him. It's just like he plays the character extremely well. The whole movie, it's it's very. It's a long classic, like it's a crusade movie. It's basically like a Western, but set in the Middle East as it would be. Um, but it's historically factual. It's got action pieces, it's got romance, it's got everything. And the way it's written, I think you would definitely appreciate it. And anyone else that's seen it, you'll cool, see that it's man. a very historically accurate movie. Kind of like to loop back around though to what we were saying um, about that post. That's the first thing I was writing in was basically I kind of... I'm going to be the way I've written it so far because it goes live uh, tomorrow at three o'clock in the afternoon and it, it's still going through editing. I'm at like 3,500 words, dude. Okay. I'm still at 3,500 words after like I've written, I wrote 7,000 edited down to 3,500. So it's like, God damn it. We've got to keep going. Um, but the funny thing is though, like there's, so just to give anyone that's listening, like the way I thought and formatted this was I wanted people to kind of come in and realize what 2019, 2018 looked like, what 2019 looked like, and what 2020 is going to look like. Kind of like establish that presence as in this is what you can expect from me. And then it's kind of giving, it, it is giving them the exact formula of how I find people's stories in three steps. I mean, I'm going to tell you this anyway, because I think you'd really enjoy oh. it. Um, and it's probably very similar to what you already do, but I don't know if you do it consciously it's it's one of those weird things um and something i came up with so it will basically give them this idea of this three-step process of finding your story and basically how to find the right one to tell because mm-hmm. for some very strange reason i can look at a person in five minutes and know what story to tell about you and i at the same event i asked someone why do you do what you do and they're like because i want to help people and become leaders i was like bullshit what's the real reason and they're like i was born disabled with like club feet I was like, okay, but what's the real reason? They're like, someone told me I'll never be able to lead anything in my life and live a good life. I was like, that's the reason why you basically do what you do. And she just sat there and she was like, holy fuck. I was like, you got to go deeper. So I'm going to show you guys how I do this. And then I'm going to actually tell my origin story. Because even though a lot of people know my story, the the crazy... Dude, I've been like, some people don't realize this, but I've actually, because I've been in direct response since I was 12, but I started learning selling from the time I was five because my dad loved watching the home shopping channel with Billy Mays for two hours a day for six days, six days a week for two years while he was paralyzed from the waist down. So I should know that about you. Like I should know this about you already. You know, who so I got, my dad, he was paralyzed from the waist down for two years. He used to be a lifter, but then he got a herniated disc and uh, it messed up his lower back. So he couldn't walk properly, but now he's okay. He can walk again. Um, but yeah, that that's the, the fact that you don't know that just tells me I need to put this out there because everyone should know this. Yeah. But absolutely. Yeah. So what I was going to say with that same post, cause you've inspired so much of it. What I want to ask you is, is there an ideal length that you write to? Because there's so many people that say like 35,000, 3,500 words, 1,800, 500. I'm like, I feel like you should be like Winston Churchill, make it long enough, like long enough to cover the points, but short enough to keep it, you know, interesting. Yeah, I think it's an individual thing, dude. I have posts that are 15,000 words, 10,000 words, 5,000 words. My most popular ones are pretty are pretty long. I go long on the first dra- on the first draft of uh, Marijuana Dawn. I was at almost 190,000 words. 
this is a whole book, right? But I cut it, which is a fucking long book. We're talking a seven or eight hundred page book. Yeah. I cut it down to 135,000 words, which is still long. Um, but there are similar ones in our category, like Mr. Nice and Wolf Wall Street that are similar length. For blog posts, dude, I think some people do great. You have, um, who is it that, is it, uh, who's the guy who wrote Tribes and Purple Cow? Seth um, Godin. Doesn't he do little one, little, little like one yeah. paragraph type blog post? So, yeah. bro, and that's all he fucking needs. I go long. It's, I enjoy writing. I'm having fun while I'm typing it. Sometimes I recently wrote a post. It was like 29 ways to do something. And I go, holy shit, I, what I really have here is 29 different fucking posts, right? <laughs> so I'm going I'm to cut these because that thing was long as fuck, right? Um, it's all individual, man. I, it's, we would it's all whatever you need to, you don't want to bore people, but you want to keep them reading and reading. Um, mine are long. People go, holy fuck, this is long. I love hearing people say, hey, this is so long, man. But you know what? You hooked me the whole time. I loved it. So it's all individual, bro. You could kick ass with, you know, like, like Seth Godin with little, or you could kick ass like I do with big fucking long, you know, long yeah, ass. That, that's kick ass though, because I, I genuinely love stuff like that. And speaking of kick ass, because this is someone that we both really admire and I'd love to get your opinion on what makes them amazing. And that is John Carlton. Like, what do you think makes Carlton just such a great damn storyteller? That he's done it over and over and over and over and over and over. That dude's practiced like crazy. Yeah, he's one of my biggest influences. It was his Rebel Rant newsletters. So I can Amazing. look at the things that are my biggest influences, right? And have Charles Bukowski, um, Tarantino, Henry Rollins, Halbert Kennedy Carlton, right? Um, I I loved his conversational tone. Mm -hmm. How And I still teach this one to this day. I probably stole it from him. Um, I think it's him I stole it from, but you... You talk to your reader as if they're your best friend and you're sitting in a dive bar with them having a beer and you have discovered some shortcuts and secrets that have helped you get to where they want to be. And you're just sharing that with them. It's so like, you don't want to talk to like your whole audience. Like I'm, I'm up here on a soapbox speaking to the, you know, the whole yeah. fucking world. You just want to talk to that one person. And I, Depending on the audience, some people, you know, maybe it's tea or coffee or, or beer, or maybe it's smoking a joint like I use in Big Mike's yep. audience. Um, but you just, you want to talk to one person and you discover shortcuts and secrets. And how would you talk? Well, you might, you know, you might do some, you tell stories, some self-deprecating stuff. You use lots of contractions. You would, you would. Um, You'd write as you would speak. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that is one of the biggest takeaways I ever got from Carlton. And yep, then... Conversational um, tone stuff. And his rebel rant, dude, I studied that fucking thing. Ooh. And it wasn't what he was talking about. It wasn't what he was teaching. It was how he was teaching it. It was how he was telling these stories, how conversational yep. it was. I mean, yep. I, I, yeah. That's, the, that's something that, like, I absolutely loved about your style in particular because that's the that's actually something that you and i connected on very deeply in my opinion and i think we both share this is when we watch movies like we enjoy them but then we love watching like why does this make me feel this way what is the actual tone how did this all come about but it's so unconscious it's fascinating yep i i just love how how the mind works man and what Same. you know what influences us and makes us feel certain ways it's and you know what? That kind of stuff is 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 evergreen, man. Once you know how to push 
the buttons, you know, activate the triggers. Once you know how people think and how to influence right now, as I was just talking about on, on Justin Devonshire's podcast Good is dude. there's a lot. Yeah. Great dude. He was one of my, my coaching clients. He was, yeah. and I tell him there were guys like, uh, there were some guys like him, like Sam Bakhtiar, who now has over a hundred facilities. There's Travis Jones, who's, he does eight figures. He's got about 20 ish facilities. There was, uh, there's AJ Mirzad, who's really big now. There was yep. Justin. These were the, the coaching clients of mine who every call they would be like, they wanted to, they were thirsty for knowledge. They had a million questions. And then they're like, all right, I'm going to have this done by the next call. I get on the next call and they already fucking did it all. And now you see what I just did here. I told a story, but I also self-aggrandize the hell out of myself. I'm talking about all these seven, eight, nine Ooh. figure entrepreneurs. It, it, that, that's basically what it is. If you didn't do it, I'd kick your ass for it. And actually, I say I'd kick your ass. I'm six foot tall. I'd try, but Zoe beat the shit out of me. Like, you're, like that's basically... Oh, see, now you have self-deprecating humor down, right? Dude, I, I teach this too. One of the keys to self-aggrandizement, and I learned this from fucking Kennedy, man, who I believe learned it from Halbert, um, about self-aggrandizement, how that's the real business we're in. You're not really a copywriter. You're in self-aggrandizement business. Right. If you're a coach, well, you if you want to be as successful as possible, you're really the self-aggrandizing business. I learned this from Kennedy. So this is nothing, you know, new here. But there are keys to balancing it out because if all we do is brag and, yeah. and talk how great we are, it's it's repulsive. It'll 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 repel the, the people we want to attract. So there are there are keys to doing it. Um, you're very good at self-aggrandizing at not the, the um self-deprecating humor. Yeah. Self-deprec self-deprecating humor is one of the biggest fucking ways to, um, to, you know, if you're going to brag about some sandwich it between some self-deprecating humor, another one is admitting flaws and vulnerabilities, failures, things like that. And another one is lifting people up, which you're great at as well. You're great at all those, by the way, is oh. it, it, the lifting of people up point to this person, lift them up. Now you can self aggrandize by pointing to a client who, who now is like, you know, making all this money and that's what a client. So I get a self aggrandizement by talking about this client, but I'm also lifting them up. Right. Yeah. And that's a likable thing when you lift others up. So there's ways to balance out all this, all the self-aggrandizing um, because there, there are some people on Facebook. I see every post is all they're doing is talking about how fucking great they are, how they know everything and no, everyone else doesn't know shit. And yeah. I follow them almost for amusement. Uh, <laughs> they are pretty fun. They never, but they never admit flaws or vulnerabilities. They never admit their failures, mistakes. They don't, they're never self-deprecating. They're never lifting up other people. And it's, 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 you know, it, it repels us. So while self-aggrandizement, as, as Kennedy said, and I believe he learned this from Halbert, is the real business we're in, it needs to be balanced out. And yeah. one of the best ways is because self-deprecating humor, that's one of the most likable traits about someone. We love people who are self-deprecating. It's, it's yeah. one of the reasons we really like comedians so right they come out mm -hmm. and bust balls on themselves exactly so, uh, there, there's my little rant about that but you're Dude. very good at that like you just cop talked about my and i do that kind of shit too so yeah when people i'm really tall so when people fucking uh go wow man you're tall i always say yeah but i'm hung like a pimple so, so, <laughs> <laughs> which, which which actually isn't true by the way but, but i just want to make that clear. Guys, just, but it you know 
it, it, it self-aggrandizes. It, it, it self-deprecates that out. Um, and it's likable. Someone busting their ball, you know, busting their own ball. Cool. So. Dude, I mean, you've seen some of my stand-up. We just have fun with it. Like the whole, uh, that's one of the things I think that makes someone a great communicator is someone that doesn't mind making fun of themselves. Where the trap I fall into is, uh, as a friend told me, they're like, sometimes you admit flaws and vulnerabilities far too much. You need to use the other stuff as well so we can actually see that you're great. So I'm like, it's good to know that I'm good at all of these. I just need to like rebalance. The I think you're right. I don't hear the thing about the $700 million in sales enough from you. Like yeah. we need to hear it. There's things like that. We need to know about you. The other day you, you, what did you mention? Um, was it your miracles or superpowers? Um, and we should all know, man, you know, $700 million of sales. There's these things we should know that you repeat over and over in the, in when you self aggrandize, but then bust it, you know, bust your balls. Like you just talked about my fucking seven year old daughter kicking your ass. Right. <laughs> That's funny shit. That's a likable quality. Um, so oh, but no, I, I would love to hear more and see more so we all know and you you could do it you sandwich it with that self-deprecating stuff i know it feels weird this, even kennedy talks about how the self-aggrandizement is, is awkward at first because yeah. you're braggy and and but if you, you get taught you know, not to from the engage and then now like you figure it out it gets that something i was going to say though just to kind of like jump in the middle of something that you said was um yeah you do know that zoe and i are actually definitely going to roll right <laughs> I, I don't mind. She will beat me up. I was like, okay, so this is how you like, if a boy, if someone tries to do this, you just do this. Cause one of my, one of the worst things I've ever taught my niece. Um, she's not like, I've got a niece, but this is like an older, she's a family friend. That's like her daughter's like my niece. Basically she calls me her brother and we're really close. Okay. She's eight years old. I taught her how to do a cross face. Like okay. off like uh, from, so if you're inside Mount in jujitsu, it's basically where you drop your shoulder and use your arm to pull them in. So you just turn the chin over. It's really painful if you do it correctly. Like I've tapped out to it like a bunch of times to like some friends of mine have done it okay. to me. I taught her that one day she gave me a hug and then she just cross faced me like in a hug. I was like, what the no, go away. Stop. Like, why am I teaching you things? But you got my kids will it's as important as math or english we, we homeschool here and awesome. as important as math or english is is their self-defense once they're i want to get her into krav maga um yeah. but, but most of the schools don't teach krav maga until they're a little older now they will but i started her in jiu-jitsu because she started the week she turned three yeah right she's the highest belt for her age in her whole school um awesome. and uh yeah, and my other little ones will be in it. I've just had too many horror stories from ex-girlfriends and things about bad shit. And I just, you know, so we prepare them. We read yep. little books about fucking, you know, a good touch and a bad touch and, and all that kind of stuff. We, we read those little storybooks to them. They do a good job these days. They have a lot of them and it's not, it's not creepy. It, it you know, it, it's, but it teaches them. I have them in, in the, um, the self-defense stuff so they can defend themselves. It's just. Uh, that's excellent. That's, yeah. I'm glad someone's actually done that because like when I was growing up and you know, when you were growing up, I'm pretty sure like having that conversation was really fucking awkward. Like yeah, well, I never had it with me, my parents and you know, and I didn't know so I, shit happened to me, dude. Right. From multiple people. I didn't know. I never was prepared for that stuff. And, um, you know, so I make sure my fucking, you know, I prepare yeah. my kids to give them the best chance. Yeah. Cause and and sorry, just like go from here is 
I think honestly, people, they always say the best humor comes from tragedy. They always say that. Gallows humor type stuff. Yeah. I was going to say humor and stories. Like they can come from the worst places, but if you, if you do the work, I mean, it, I'd never wish any of the stuff that went through, went to, that happened to either one of us. Uh, on anyone because you know shit you go through some crazy stuff and it yeah, can change someone's life dude you take a person and now all of a sudden maybe they become a fucking stripper and hooked on heroin and stuff like that all because of one time one thing one little fucking thing happened that they weren't prepared for and um if it, it can be tragic so it's really important i had a friend of mine um and I can only talk about it now because may they rest in peace. They, they passed away. And I don't talk about this enough. It's something I will start speaking about later this year because he taught me a lot when I was growing up. Uh, something happened to him when we were, when we were kids, when we were like, we were 14. Uh, we, we were both like 14 year olds. You're like high on testosterone. I was doing Thai boxing at the time. So I was like, I thought I can, you know, take on the world. Even though I was really shy. It's like, if I get into a fight and I'm going to handle myself. And uh, he was like one of my closest friends. And we, we worked out together. We trained together, but he wanted to join a gang. Like he wanted, we both wanted to like initiate and go into this gang because we thought like, you know, there's really not much that we can do. And I don't really talk about this as much, which is again, very few people know that I used to rap battle and you know, I was, I didn't know gang. that either until you said it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like my brain, like I never used to sound like this. Some of my best friends that have known me from way back, they literally look at me and their exact words were, we're still waiting for that little thug rap you know, that used to be to like pop out every so often, like get me high enough and make me listen to R&B and it'll come out. But um, we were just kidding about that. But the thing that really went for him is something happened to him, which again, I'm not at liberty to say because I don't know the full story. I just, something broke in him. And that dude went off. Like that guy went from, so even though like we were like being stupid and thinking like, oh, we'll join a gang, we'll set the other we both had prospects like we both had the idea like we want to get somewhere with our lives like we want like this is just for survival we're only joining this for survival and then the moment we hit an age we're breaking we're like going off to our own thing becoming normal something happened to him and he never came out of that i left he never did and about three years ago i found out that basically he uh he ended up becoming a mercenary for hire basically Okay. That, that that was his only thing. He he basically became a hired gun, and this is from a guy that was or really, a government or nah, for the wrong type of people. Like a hitman, right? He became a yeah a hired yeah. Okay, wow. Okay. Not in the UK. He basically like um, so the obituary basically read, and I spoke to his I spoke to his sister about this, like you know the funeral when they had it a couple of years ago. I was like, what happened to him? And she was like, he left for New York. Literally, that's all it was. Like when he was 21, he literally packed his bags, went to New York, and said that he's not going to come back. And when they actually looked through all his belongings, like his personal possessions, uh, this dude had more money than he knew what to do with. Crazy amounts. Like basically, they found out where he was. He was um, he was protecting three separate gangs as their lead hitman. Like he was a complete specialist to his own. Oh, and that's what got him killed. That's actually what got him killed in the end because. Uh, he was murdered. It, they, they, it was a closed casket. Let's just put it that way. It was a closed casket. Is it in the news, the story? It was a few years ago, but again, I'm not at liberty. I don't want to really say his name because again, uh, I, don't I, want... I understand. I, I'm yeah. fascinated with crime. I always have been. same. Oh dude. Um, like just, just kind of like, so that was, um, 
that's how effective that kind of stuff can be. But when I think about like historics, I, I've known him when we were kids. And I think about his story, like how he went from such how he was growing up, playing basketball together, like fooling around, just, you know, wrestling with each other, the whole thing as kids. And then you realize that was your friend that ended up this way. And when I sit down and wonder how he got there, yeah. it just makes you realize that the slightest thing could change an entire person's course, as you just said, like for the worst. That, yeah, man, the, the childhood traumas of fucking biggie, man. Can just mm. one little thing can it can really change alter our path and for some people that's good they had to go down that path to to you know become aware or to to evolve into something they probably never would have evolved into had it not happened but it can be pretty pretty yeah, gnarly yeah it's it's insane like it's the crazy stuff and it's uh something that i used to say all the time when i was younger which was i really wish some of the bad things didn't happen to me the way they did and then some of those bad things I look back at and go, but they made me who I am. They made me the person I would become. And I can't, I, I can't say no to those things because those things shape me. I can look at in my life, okay, for one, had not every second and every inch of my life happened the way it did, I would not have those, those three little kids out there in the other room who, I don't know if you can hear them, but I can hear them and that's yeah. the most that to me, I love that. My little, my little two-year-old, three-year-old, and seven-year-old are out there eating lunch. Mommy, I would not have them. I might have three or kids with their same names, but I would not have those kids had not every second and every inch happened in my life. So I always remember, oh shit, if I'm wishing something happened, I'm wishing away them. Yeah. Right. And I can also look at the bad shit that's happened to me. Um, a, a little example is this is a little example. It's a, it's, it, it's going to sound like I'm being a pussy here, but I'm trying not to. Um, I had hurt. I was really into bodybuilding for a few years and I was yeah. like 270 ripped. Keep in mind, I'm six, six, but I, yeah, so, this sounds like a pussy entirely. Yes. Six, six, two, seven. I hurt myself, man. I was cranking five finger death punch in the gym going off. I, I went back to do some dumbbell presses and my shoulder gave. Now I'd had shoulder problems on and off for years, but right. dude, I just fucking felt it so bad. And like, it was excruciating pain and I was so pissed at myself that I didn't warm up a little better and didn't have someone help me get those dumbbells up. Um, because I had a lot of goals regarding bodybuilding and stuff. And I like, Holy shit, I'm kind of fucked now because I, I know how bad, how much the pain could throw me off. I'm like, I saw myself not being able to do pressing movements, yeah. right? Like shoulder presses, chest, any kind of upper body pressing movement for quite a while. Yeah. You um, wouldn't do that, I end up so. going, so I'm pissed. I'm like, mother fucker look what i did to myself i should have all i had to do was do maybe two more warm-up sets work my way up and maybe have someone help me get that first rep up had i that would have taken me two minutes i didn't do it i fucked up so i go to get a and i blogged about this the other day i go to get a um there's a massage envy there i yeah. go in so you know who's the best at going deep tissue i need it really fucking i like to be steamrolled i like it most people, I, it's a sweet, glorious pain to me. I fucking love it. I love yeah. deep tissue, hard as can be. So they give me who they say is the best, and she was. She was amazing. I went back for two hours every week for deep tissue. That's my wife, bro, today. Yeah. Had I not hurt myself. You would not have met her. I would not have met her. I wouldn't have these kids. So, And on that note, I got to take a leap. Oh, no worries. So, guys, we're going to just keep going in a moment. Chris is, I'm going to pause. We'll be back in just a moment. 
uh, and he backed him out. And I just see your dog right now. So fucking adorable. One. All right, guys, welcome back. I know that doesn't seem like a second to you has even passed, but as I said, we paused it. Something happened to you, so I want to know. Oh, well, I was talking about my kids and how I'd never had them. So I went out there to use the restroom real quick, and my daughter's like, look, Daddy, I just drew the ABCs back, the ABCs for the first time all the way through. And she had just gone. She did. She's like, but I did the Z backwards, but she did all her ABCs, bro. Like, and I ran out there, and I, you know, gave the, the my son sleeping, but I gave my two little daughters a kiss, my wife a kiss, came back. I love that working from home. Direct response and marketing allowed me to do this to where I get to work at home and see my kids. And, and sometimes I'll go out and I'll play monster. So oh. if I'm just going to go out to the restroom real quick, I'll, I'll come out roar, and I chase them. And my boy comes back at me. He's, t- you know, he's two. His name's Bronson after Charles Bronson. Of course he's going to come after you because he's like, that's my dad, but I'm just going to have fun with this. Oh, yeah. He's going to be a that, tough that, little soldier. <laughs> this, this is what uh, marketing and direct response and writing has done for me. The guy who was the most miserable at any day job I'd ever had, um, you know, was able to do what I love for a living, tell stories all day, and uh, work with my little ones right out in the other room. Dude, I, I can't relate to that enough. Um one of the joys I, I will the reason i can't work jobs is because i have a problem with authority yeah me like, too oh man i'm childish about it it's fucked up it's <laughs> so bad it's so fucking funny though. like a rebellious teenager with this shit it's, i i yeah i can't some dude can be the best boss in the world the fucking coolest guy but within a week i'm resenting him just because he's telling me what to do right like, <laughs> <laughs> it takes me a little bit longer like if i've got a cool boss i'll get on with them but where i stop off is um I'm a fast climber. Like, I don't like being at the bottom rung for too long. Like, if I saw, if someone goes, okay, you're going to start in retail and you're going to work here, go. If by the time the first six months are over, like my probation period's over and you don't have like a represent, like you don't have a promotion from like regular sales staff to like senior sales staff, I'm going to be pissed at you. And um, I'll tell you a funny story about this. It was like years ago, uh, I was 23. Um, it was a bit of a weird Christmas because I was like, I, I had no money, so I decided to work retail again. Because like my whole thing is, I lost my motivation to write for a little bit. I was like, I don't know what to do. So I was like, I'll get a job in retail to write, remind myself how much I hate working for other people during Christmas because it was in the Christmas holidays. I had one manager, which uh, I'm not going to say her name, but let's just put it this way. She was insanely hot. Like she was just so insanely hot. I was like half my time. I was like, how are you? So like, that would be so distracting. (laughs) But thing is she was Irish and she would bust your balls at any given moment. So you couldn't sit on anything. I remember the one day they were telling us we had to sell the little upsells, like little trinkets at the front of the, at the counter. Cause like they added points and I got stuck on till duty all day. Now for me, if I'm behind the tills, again, copyright salesperson, I want to talk to the people, find out if it's the right choice for them, sell them the right thing. Uh-huh. So she came downstairs and she was like, there's such a long queue and everyone's getting mad. No one got mad. She jumped on the till, a few people left, whatever she left, left me alone. And she pulled me aside and she was like, Adel, if you don't sort your shit out and start just serving customers instead of talking to them, I'm going to pull you off tills. I was like, fine. I still went out there and still talked. And I was like, fuck it. I'll just show up the conversation a little more. At the end of the day, I went upstairs. So we all getting changed. 
And she's scowling at me like, motherfucker, you didn't do what I told you. Like she was like mad at me that I didn't listen to her like serve quicker. I was still like taking my time. Uh huh. She was about to like rip a new one into me until the manager literally walked out and went, Adel, you were on tilt number 22, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, great fucking job. I was like, why? He goes, you just broke the company record for most upsells in a single day. I was like, nice. Nice. Bitches. <laughs> and then it was like a week later, I was like, I got to leave because she's going to get mad at me for doing this again. <laughs> I can't deal with getting mad at. It's partially because I don't like authorities. Also, I don't like being told off by people. Yeah. Such a pussy with it. It's like, yell at me, I'll run away. I'm, I'm with you. I used to work at a record store called Sam Goody back in the 80s when I was about 16. Dude, I fucking robbed that place blind, bro. I used to walk out of there every day with, a, with three tapes a day. Three was what I could fit in my pants along my belt line. So three, because back when we had cassettes. <laughs> Every, I was so worried, like they were going to do like an audit, like they were going to come down and go, holy shit, who's the guy here who likes Metallica, Doobie Brothers, fucking all this shit. It's, it's obviously me, right? <laughs> I was worried, like someone said, yeah, they do a uh, lie detector tests and all this. I'm like, holy, <laughs> I was so worried corporate was going to come down and audit and give you a lie detector. And, uh, but no, I ripped them fucking off, bro. <laughs> that, was, that was not cool, man. Oh, but the shit, but the shit that you get told by like higher ups that's not even real. They're gonna give you a lie detector test. You're 16. You're like, dude, I'm freaking out. I was freaking out. It, it's so funny because I, if you look at the course, and you go five, so you're talking about 60 tapes a month times right, 52 months. So we're 12 months, right? Dude, I stole a shit ton of cassettes, right? CDs were harder. CDs used to come in the big. Uh, they had the big cardboard thing on it. Those yeah. were tough. But through the day, I would go pick the tapes I want, and I put them back in a certain place. Keep in mind, anyone listening, this is 35 fucking years ago, right? I was <laughs> in your old little shit. Um, but I would find the tapes I wanted, and I had a little place in the storeroom. And then in the storeroom, you had a, a one a, like a two-way mirror where you could see out there. So while I'm slipping them down my pants, I'm watching through the mirror, make sure no one's coming. And every day, I walked out with my fucking tapes. <laughs> little shit. You know, to be fair, if you weren't a little shit, I wouldn't be surprised. If, if you were, like, I would be surprised because, like, to be fair, that is essentially. I find if you're mischievous as a kid, you tend to be a little bit more as you're an adult, and you get away with like laughter. Like one of my favorite things ever was going to a corporate retreat with a couple of friends. I kind of tagged along. I wasn't there with them. I was just tagging along, and I got to sit into one of their meetings. The entire time we were playing tic-tac-toe in the back, like not even at the back, we were like, it was a boardroom table and the guy that was speaking to the left of me, he was only three people up, so he could clearly see me and we sat there playing tic-tac-toe and giggling like little school kids. Yeah. And of course, what, do, what does the big man in like the suit say to you? Uh, do you want to share what you're doing with everyone else? <laughs> I, I was ballsy as fuck. I was 20, I think it was like 24 or something. I literally stood up, put up like the piece of paper. We're playing tic-tac-toe. He's like, why? It's like, because I, you're literally saying the same thing the other guy said. Let us just continue. <laughs> Good times, man. Oh. But then again, you never really grow out being a little shit. The worst one though, and this is my last little shit story, and I was 16. Uh, and my one of my best friends, Altaf, um, fucking love him to pieces. Basically like my brother. It's three months apart in age. Um, we did. We were doing human biology, 
like uh, so our schooling system here is a little bit different. So you actually you used to be able to finish school at 16 and then you do something called college, which is for two years and then you go to university. So I decided to do my college year like the first year I was doing human biology, physical, physical education. I wanted to be a physiotherapist and psychologist. Those were my goals at the time. And um, I ended up getting this one science teacher who hated me because she hated my sister. Like my, my sister, I love her, but my sister's a piece of work, right? She was like the hellion that you never wanted in the class. That was my sister. And that was like some sweet, quiet kid. Like you have to realize, like I, I may have had all these weird little adventures on the back, but when I was at school, I was a soft spoken kid that never spoke. I was like, no, it's okay. I had like a really soft voice. Think Anderson Silva, but like not mature. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> like going around school and shit. And the funniest thing, this class only had about eight kids in it. And within the, like, I knew going into that school year, she did not like me. Like, I knew. She made it abundantly clear at the end of the last school year, I don't like you and you're going to be in my class. I'm going to make it hell for you. She literally said that to me. I was like, okay. I thought, I'm a, yeah, she was like, you know, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it hard for you. Cause like, I barely got through like school cause um, I was undiagnosed dyslexic until I was 19. So like going through school was kind of like tough. Um, the craziest thing happened though, like the, this is where the switch came. And this is where I know I was like becoming more of like that 16 year old warrior shit story that was coming back between me that I told you about when I was three. At that moment, I used to show up in, to class with an iPod listening to Bob Marley. Now granted, I wasn't a stoner at the time. I am now, but like back then I wasn't. I literally got into oh, class. You're a stoner. Now I am. I started when I was 28. I started when I was 28 because of like anxiety and stuff. And it's, it's helped a lot with a few things, but it's, it's not it's like, if it ever gets to a point where it takes too much of my time and too much away from me, I have to start for like a month regain control and go back again. Okay. So for me, it's a little bit more controlled. Um, not, not that it does anything negative for me anyway, but just gives me a real good idea. And sometimes oh, helps. Oh, I'm the, no judgment here, bro. I should oh, Oh no, I use bong rips. So I usually, I, I do month on, I do like two or three months at a time and then take like a month off. So like after the stress that I had in December, that was daily while I was working. And then now as I'm coming off of it, it's kind of like slowing down to every other day. And then February, I'm like doing all of February, like completely sober. So I'm clean all of February. And then maybe I'll see how I feel in March. So it's, it's just a system for how my brain works. But back then, everyone thought I was a stoner. I only found this out after I got high. Everyone was like, oh, that was your first time. We thought that was like you all the time. I was like, why? <laughs> Turns out I tell stoner stories while I'm sober. Like, I'm sober right now, but I still sound like I'm telling the stoner story. Anyway, so I used to go into class, and I'd sit down. I'd like, I was this much of a cheeky shit. I didn't sit in the back of the classroom like a respectful bad kid would, like, leave me alone. I'd sit front and center, headphones in, Hood up, falling asleep in front of her. Like, I was that much of a dick about it. And to make matters worse, she used to wake me up and ask me questions about human biology, like that were three units later than we were, just to fuck with me. Except for she couldn't, because I, I knew she would do that, so I read the studies ahead of time. So when she did it, I'd ask, I'm like, what was the question? She'd ask me the question, I'd answer it. And you can see she's about to go, you're wrong. She's like, wait, you're shit, you're right. <laughs> okay. This went on for an entire school year, by the way. Like a full school. She hated my guts. 
And then of course I left after that, but still, um, that was a fun little time of being a little shit. All right, so something I do want to ask you because I'm I'm very wary of time. Uh, yep. We've only got 25 minutes left, and there's a lot I still want to go through. One of the questions I want to ask you, um, and I don't usually get to ask this question very often on the show, is what are like if you were to give these courses and recommendations to people to go through to get better at influential writing and really understanding, you know, how they can get better at like creating amazing stories. What courses, not books, would you recommend? And I reason I'm not, there is a reason why I've said not books. That comes later. Okay. Um, the biggest, fuck, the big trifecta courses I've gone through many times on audio is uh, in, uh, Dan Kennedy, Influential Writing, Dan Kennedy, um, Personality and Copy, Dan Kennedy, uh, the Coaching and Consulting uh, advanced coaching and consulting strategies. This is one about selling coaching. Those, those are the, um, that's all evergreen shit, man. So that, you know, those coaches, those are 10, 15 years old now, but, uh, they'll work in 30 years, 40 years. Yep. Um, I really liked, uh, Andre Chaperone. How do you say his name? He had Chaperone, the autoresponder. Yeah. Auto yes. I yeah. really liked that. I really enjoyed that. Um, I've, I've, uh, like some of Ben, uh, Ben Settle stuff. Um, John Carlton's I've, I went through his courses like those. I love the, I used to be huge on information products, right? I Same. fucking dude. I spent hours, big Mike, right. Who keep in mind, motherfucker does a hundred million over a hundred million a year. He spent six hours a day for years going through courses, right? Uh, and that's after that's after work and I'm putting in 12 hours of work. Uh, I spent a lot, man. Another huge one I loved was that old Kern mass control. Um, that was great. Just watching oh. Kern. But you, I learned more studying Kern, though, from the way he does shit, right? Right, right. Surfer yeah. Frank was my favorite. Let's be honest. Surfer Frank was everyone's favorite. Oh, yeah, dude. When he was the dude, the he dude was. abides when he was fucking that guy. Man, he was, uh, yeah, yeah. I was stoked when Joe, Joe Polish connected me with him. So I, I, and I hired, I hired uh, him for coaching. And I, I've told this story. I think I've gave him about 50 grand to Frank Kern for, um, it was, uh, let me see. It was first, it was $8,000 to go to a two-day event that he sold me on a strategy call. Then it was 4,000 a month. I was in for like six months in his program. Then I paid him uh, a low five figure sum, 10 grand ish for a day of coaching. And keep in mind, his whole thing at the time was uh, the strategy call model. So before all these strategy calls, everyone's doing these strategy calls, jump on what they call it, implementation call, discovery call, breakthrough yeah. call, strategy call, whatever the fuck they're calling a, you know, a sales call these days, <laughs> whatever they're calling it. He came, him and Kevin Nations came out teaching at first. And this guru stuff worked so well that, that I didn't, I planned, a, I've never done a strategy call today. I don't want to ever fucking do one. Who knows? There may be a point in time where I'm fucking might have to or something, but I avoid, I'm an introvert dude. To me, it's like getting dragged across asphalt. It's just fucking, you know, I don't want to do those fucking calls. And I didn't want to then. And we used to make a joke that, you know, he's going to get me to do at least one strategy call. But um, he, uh, 
his whole thing was teaching the strategy call model. And I fucking gave him, you know, 50,000 ish, give or take to learn this shit. Dude, I never planned on doing a strategy call. I've never done a strategy call. I, I did it because it felt to me like if I just paid him money that I would make fucking money. Right. Like that, that just I, stuff. the guru stuff. I just wanted to be close to him. I wanted to fucking learn what I could, but I didn't want to do strategy calls. So I'm in a fucking mastermind of people all about strategy calls. And my questions have nothing to do with strategy calls. Fuck strategy calls was my thing. But, but I, his guru stuff worked so well on me that I gave him money and I don't regret it. it you know, it's, 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 uh, it was money well spent. I've learned a lot from that guy, but just watching the way he, um, the, his studying just the way he does shit. Now I really like the fucking old surfer one. Uh, you know, I, I before he kind of rebranded, that's just what resonated with me. Um, but he did the guru stuff so well that I just had to give the guy money. I launched my first my first info course. Did in eight days, I did three hundred four thousand dollars in billable sales. Um, and so I just I all shit back. Let's say. You need to bring that shit back. There is such a good, okay, here's the thing. So here's something that very few people know. Seven years ago, you gave me access to that fucking course. I went through the copywriting modules because I, I messaged saying, dude, if you ever bring it back, let me know. I'll pay you a grand for it. And you were like, dude, you're really cool. Don't worry about it. Here's access. And that was like one of the cool, that was like uh, the first four months we were talking, you did that to me. You did that for me. It was like, it blew me away. Um, and also set up my blueprint of how I treat people moving forward anyway. It's never like, oh, I have it. I'm going to hoard it. It's like, eh, if I can help you, fuck it, go help you. Um, and the craziest thing is you need to bring back the goddamn, like the writing modules alone. Forget the SEO stuff. Just the writing modules are so righteously amazing that I was like, I've, I've been hunting through every hard drive I own because I knew I downloaded it because I was like, I've got to download this and watch this on the big screen because I can then take notes. I still can't find those goddamn hard drives that has access to all this shit. Let me know, because I'd like to see what I had too, man. I that if was. I, if I find it, I'll send it back to you. I'll just be like, here you go, Chris. Check out how amazing this shit is. I, I really loved my fitness blogging profits. That's off the market too, but that was uh, deep in the psychology of uh, of influencing people through blog posts and things like that. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned this. I gave that to you. I was just on uh, Justin Devonshire. And he, um, he told the story about how I did a, he made some really cool comment on, he'd found my kickback life blog years ago and, uh, made a bunch of money. He got a bunch of clients by these free blog posts. And he said, he gave a comment about it, like kind of like a free a testimonial content comment on, um, blog post. And I, I told my wife, Hey, contact him, hit him up, give him a, free, give him a free, uh, give him one of my courses. I was really cool. Him. I just, you know, and, uh, she ended up, we ended up giving them all my courses at the time, right? That I had out there. I had a bunch of them. Well, he ends up joining my, he, he, he the reciprocity, you know, one of Cialdini's six weapons of influence was so strong that he went, went out and joined my mastermind at the time. And it was a badass mastermind. I had seven figure Sam in there, Travis Jones, Jay, Jay Ferruja, Luca Hosevar, fucking Matt Trainer, Steve Krebs, Paul Mort, all these big, it was the baddest <laughs> fucking mastermind in the industry, Dude. right? Paul's literally just been on my show as well. I love him. He has voice better than almost anybody. So yeah. when it comes to this cult building stuff that I teach, um, mm. and a strong voice, he's, he's by far one of the best at having, you know, his, uh, a strong, strong, 
powerful voice. voice. Yeah. yeah. So love that guy. Something that I want to go back to, because there's an open loop that we want to close. This is just something that you and I both know that I hope everyone else kind of gets in on. Do you remember, and I wouldn't be surprised if you don't, years ago, I sent you the Mass Control 2.0 video breakdown that I did that Khan wouldn't let me release? You, do you still have that fucking thing? I still have that. It's on my, it's on my files. Oh, I would. You want me to send that back over to you? Cause like, yeah, I probably went through it, dude. My my memory's like fucking Swiss cheese, man. Yeah. Um, the weed, I I smoked my fucking <laughs> in the nineties. I smoked all the brain cells up. So, but yeah, I used to do that too. I used to go through and break down. You know, oh, he said this. He did this. He's implying this. It's, oh man, fuck, dude. That, I I watched it back recently because I was going like, God, what was it? I was in Plymouth. So let's see, I was twenty four years old when I was doing this. Because I really wanted to do like an info, because was, there was a product I wanted to create called the Copy Lab. Um, and I shouldn't have let go of that domain, thecopylab.com. And essentially, it was what I would do is uh, I would do breakdowns of other people's sales letters to why they worked and how you can apply them to your business. Because I was like, I'm not confident to release my own shit. I remember doing Mass Control 2.0 because uh, if you guys can find it and there is a way to do it, go on the Wayback Machine. So MassControlSite.com and then just put that in the Wayback Machine. Go back to 2010, 2009, you'll be able to see the Mass Control sales video, which is one of the most gangstrous, janky little things that you could ever do. But the principles in that goddamn sales video are just timeless. So that shit's amazing. But yeah. I remember sending that to you. I'm going to send it back over because uh, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to raid the last three hard drives because I just found like three hard drives earlier today. I was like, maybe Chris's stuff is on there. If I get it, I'll zip it up and send it over to you. Oh, dude, I'll, I'll send it to you. Kern's, thank you. Kern's Mass Control was a huge one for me. Um, and I enjoy studying how Kern does things, I think even more than his, his courses and products. Um, he... Uh, He's a master at this. He's he's taken a lot of this cult building stuff really to a uh, to to another another level. Um, he did a lot of it back then. I was at an event of his, man. It was one of his early mass control events because you bought the course, you got to go to the event. Yeah. And this is when he still had the long hair and barefoot on stage, and he has a beard. So he's up there, and I, I sit in the back. I'm always in the back, bro, just in case you know. I got a fucking jam. I want I want the door right there so I can jam, you know? Uh, I'm in the back. He starts throwing out Easter eggs of cash. Oh, now, I remember this. Now, I was already a guru. Like, at the time, I, I don't want to be seen up there catching Easter eggs of cash, bro. That's, that's just not congruent with the, who you are. Yeah, the persona. That was different. Um, had I not been a guru, maybe I'd have been up. Uh, but I didn't want, you know, that just, yeah. So... Everyone stands up in front of me. They all got their hand, their fingers splayed, their hands held high. And I fucking look and Kern's on stage with his long hair and beard. Everyone's got their hands way in there for these Easter eggs. And I fucking swear, dude, it looked like they were all worshiping Jesus, bro. Like he's on stage and they've got their hands way up high trying to catch these Easter eggs. Dude, it looked like they're all worshiping Jesus. Like, well, this motherfucker's mean, bro. He's telling people like, you know, the, 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 the fucking NLP here is basically worship Kern and get money, yep. right? Worship Kern, get money. It was fucking <laughs> brilliant, bro. You know what's crazy? That still hasn't let up. He still somehow does that. It's ridiculous. But he's, uh, 
He's he's someone that I still want to get on the show. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while, but I'm, I'm pretty sure by the end of 2020, I'll get him on the show because that'll be a good closeout for the, the end of the year. I've, I've interviewed him for some stuff. One time I had him, I was doing an event in Las Vegas and his event was in the next like room and I had him come in and um, we joked like he's coming in the room looking for his weed, like he lost his bag of weed. <laughs> he came in and talked some stuff for a little bit, right? Because I go, hey, Frank Kern spoke of my thing, right? Uh, I grab him, he comes in, it's all these trainers, they all know who the fuck he is, mostly because I'm, I was talking about him all the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, we made a joke like, motherfucker, where's my weed? One of you guys got my weed, he came in, it was great, dude. Oh, those are the best times. It's really weird though, like the amount of people like, uh, and this is something strange I found ever since I started getting baked, cause like, I, very, for me it's, it is medical. Like I use it as more medicine than it is just for fun. Um, it's interesting how many of my friends that never smoked weed now smoke weed because of me. Like, I don't even like say, Hey, take a hit of this. It's just more or less like, do you mind if I just like do a bong grip in the other room? I don't want to like upset you. I know you're having alcohol. I, I, I'm not drinking. Do you mind if I just do this instead? You know, so we just both chill. The amount That's of times I've gone, ass, by the way, you know, it's my own space, but at the same time, I don't, I know some people don't like the smell. They don't like being around it. So I was like, I'll ask being nice about it. So I'll go in another room and just, you know, do a bong rip. And next thing I know, I look up and they're just at the doorway. I'm like, what's up? They're like, weirdly enough, can I just like try one bong rip with you? Just see, I was like, okay, I'll teach you how to inhale. And it's like the craziest shit. And um, I like, so for me, something that very few people know about and you'd know about because uh, I started posting on Facebook and I'm going to be posting on my blog is I love digital artwork. I love drawing. And like, uh, I think you saw my cosmic wolf drawing that I put up on Facebook the other day. I'm not sure if you did. Uh, if not, hold on, I'll show you on here because this is my cosmic. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, that's badass, dude. Yeah, so I basically drew that in uh, over Christmas. Like, just just chilling out. So I love drawing because it's like a little bit of a fun thing. So sometimes I do amazing shit like that. Other times the rest is just horrible. But yeah. um, the crazy thing is, that's where most of my artistic ideas come to and then just like the copy stuff is so wide that it just it melts together in a perfect melting pot now again i gotta keep watching my fucking time because when i got 10 minutes i want to get the most out of this you got any big questions man oh now here's here's where it's coming so we're gonna do a trifecta and this is one of the big ones that i know you've helped me in and i know will help a lot of people in and that is when life kicks you in the ass in the balls and then in the face and just leaves you that leaves you there on the floor in a curled up mess wondering if you should get up one more time. What the fuck do you do to get back up again? Like what is it that you would advise and what do you do? I do what grandma said when I was five, man. You I've had life I've kicked my own ass more times than I can, right? <laughs> like I, you dude I look at the people I know and the ones who I respect the most who are the most you know successful They've been kicked down the hardest, dude. It's just that they fucking get back up. They go, what's the lesson in this? What can I learn? I'm not saying the first day you do that. Maybe no. you curl up in the fetal position and fucking whimper and cry. Oh, poor me. But dude, like, you can hear that destroy you when you can just go stick a needle in your arm and hide in a corner and fucking overdose, right? Or you can go, okay, what can I learn here? Get back up. I'm not saying you got to, like, like that it happened, but you have to accept it. You have to, you know, accept this is what this is. Now, what good can come from it? In my life, in my, in my experience, bro, so much good has come from the worst stuff. My, my buddy's always saying, all works for good. I think he got it from the Bible. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but 
it all works for fucking good, man. Now there are some tragedies in life that I don't know. Someone loses a kid or something that's different, but 99% of the shit that we go through, man, it, if we're looking for the lessons, if we're looking for the good, we will find it. It can make us stronger, wiser, smarter, stronger, more accepting, more loving, more humble. Like there's a reason for it. And the people I know who are the most successful, they look for those reasons, dude. That's, yes. you know, it's, it's, I don't like being fucking kicked down by life. Most time in my own life, I did it to myself. There's almost always a fucking lesson. There's good that comes out of it, you know? It's, uh, hey, man, it's the hero's fucking journey, bro. And the hero doesn't, doesn't, you know, come back with the booty until he fucking has gone out and dealt with all the conflicts and been, you know, gone through the dark night of the soul, had his ass kicked, so. Yeah, I mean, so I think you said it best. It was the case of uh, heroes, whenever you're going through some stuff, heroes get knocked down, but they also know that they have to go through hell to come back to be the hero. So if you're in hell right now, know that you're about to rise very soon again. And it's just yep. a case of that mindset. And that's very, very powerful. And, some, and the reason I was giggling when you were saying about kick, like kicking your own ass enough times, like I beat my own ass up enough times. Do yeah. you remember, nothing encapsulates that more than Tyson Fury's like um, blooper reel where he threw an uppercut and he hit himself in the face? Like in a pro boxing Tyson match. Fury? Yeah. He, Fury? Yeah, the boxer. I don't even know that name. No, I, I don't follow. So I know Mike Tyson. Um, oh, he's actually named after Mike Tyson. Oh, it, really? Yeah, his dad, uh, he's, I can say this, but also some people get mad at me. His nickname is, his moniker is the Gypsy King. Okay. So, yeah, this dude is incredible because his story is incredible. He was on Rogan. He was on Joe Rogan's show as well. Like, uh, if, if you search back, you'll hear it. But he basically went from... He's a gypsy, like a traveler, ends up becoming world heavyweight champion by beating Vladimir Klitschko decisively, and then uh, goes on to defend. He goes super overweight, um, super depressed, wants to kill himself, the whole horrible side, and then comes out the other side, starts getting him back into boxing, has like two warm-up fights, and then beats Deontay Wilder senseless, but they called it a draw, but anyone that watches that fight knows that Deontay lost. But he's got an incredible story. The reason I bring him up is because there is this blooper of him before he was a world champion where he's throwing this uppercut and the glove kind of pulls back and he punches himself in the face. And my whole thing is, if there is ever more of an image that describes how often we fuck each other up and ourselves up, that would be it. (laughs) That that is the most apt thing. Yep. uh, and again, I've left enough time for this, I know, but I'm going to ask one question that leads okay. to the other. So the question is, have you read Laws of Human Nature yet? I've, I've gone through like a synopsis book version. No, no, wait a minute. I've gone through the, for the 48 Laws of Power. Um, the concise version, which is... It's Robert Greene, the Robert yeah. Greene book? Yep. No, I actually bought it, I believe. I haven't gone through it. Dude. Okay, you of all people need to sit down and go through it. You of all people would love that book because I went through it. It's a 28-hour audio book. So... Married to him? No, no. He's, uh, he had a stroke shortly before he actually did it. He like, did? Yeah, he, he had a stroke. So if you hear his voice, it sounds very slower and um, it very slow. He sounded okay. He sounded okay. My dad had a stroke, and I, he talks. Sometimes his words get all kind of mixed together. Um, yeah. 
you can hear it on the audiobook anyway uh he because he does like little intros and then someone else does the rest of the book but um because if you hear the 50th law and then hear this you can you can hear the difference in his voice but uh don leslie was amazing when he did 48 laws of power but anyway that book in particular you would love and i recommend this book like crazy on the show and the reason is because it goes through every single thing from like generationally like boomers this is what they like respond to like gen x this is what they want millennials this is what they believe the the ones after millennials this is their big value so for millennials they value community over survival whereas um boomers if i remember correctly they valued uh freedom over like for them freedom was their big driver and then gen x was um rebellion was kind of like independence no sorry that was it boomers was control uh, Gen X was freedom and uh, rebellion and uh, millennials are community. So that's basically what drives these three different groups. And when you see it from that perspective of human nature, you're yeah. like, I can see how I can write to all three now. It, it's, it's like the cheat code. So I need to read that. I have that fucking thing. That, that, that thing you would love. You would devour that thing. So last question, because it is very hard to do, because you posted this beautiful post the other day. I think it was like, 10 of your favorite cult building books that you had um out of all of those because there was a few that I couldn't get my hands on like uh build a cult like how to build a cult something like that i can't remember what it was or cult building i'll i've got the image on my phone somewhere um what would you say would be like the five books that anyone looking to kind of create a devout leadership around, like they want to be like royal followers, what five books should they pick up and read? Because I know we got the courses up here, which are brilliant, but the books go a little bit further. The, the real cult, but some people get, it's weird talking about cults because it has such negative connotation to it, but I use it because that's what I help people do is build a fucking cult, right? Yeah. But um, there's the, uh, well, there's the Eric Hoffer book, The True Believer. Excellent um, book. There's, uh, well, shit, man. There's I've got so many of these fuck. I have 13 bookshelves of, of books and, and a few of those bookshelves are mostly stuff on how to build a cult. So I know whose house I I'm staying at. I mean, I'm really liking the book fascinate. I really like the, uh, the, the, the new revised version. I have the old version, but the new one's better. I like Who's the, that? um, that book turn on. What's that? The fascinate one. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. It's, uh, she's a woman with, she has a weird name too. Vanessa something, right? Um, it may be, um, hold on, let me, let me, audible, I know I bought it the other day, that's why I think I bought it the other day, fascinate, uh, shit, where are you, where are you, what is her fucking name, Sally Hogshed, Sally Hogshed, Sally Hogshed, um, that's a really good one, I really like this one, Turn On, by Stephen Goldstein, um, it's about how the uh, how the powerful make us like them, from Washington to Wall Street to Hollywood. That's a really good one. Um, damn man, there's been so many that have you know they they I get one thing from this book and two from others. Those Kennedy courses were the you know I that instrumental. I think they're the most instrumental yeah, ones. So there's no hundred books that add up to, to those in my mind. Um, the 40, uh, laws from of what I've gone through, the 48 laws of power, just like the synopsis of it, that has a lot of that stuff in there. Yeah. Um, Kennedy actually recommends some of those. 
In actual fact, I'll say this one. If you're reading the 48 Laws of Power, read chapter 20, like law 27, which is uh, borrow the rules and guidelines from religion to build your own cult. It's very rudimental, but it does it in five steps. But like, it, really? yeah, it, it's like really good. You'd enjoy it. Um, so those are good. And I'd say, okay, I have one recommendation for you that's a fiction book. Everyone that's listening to me knows I fucking I love, love this one. His name is Chris Carter, and it's The Crucifix Killer. The Crucifix Killer, Chris Carter? Dude, you need to get on this. I think I've told you about it in the past, but like, I don't know. Yeah, you did. Is it a thriller? Yeah, it's a crime thriller. A crime thriller? Yeah. It I is. love crime thrillers. It's Dude, good. Th this book will be your favorite new author. I will tell you that right now. That's a bold. My favorite author is John Hart, who I'm actually coaching today. My, my favorite author is John Hart. He's the only author who's ever won the, um, the Edgar Award for two consecutive novels. Every book he, he does is a New York Times bestseller. Okay. Uh, well, I've geez. actually been friends with him, and I'm coaching him on a lot of the stuff I do today. Actually, I've called with him. Well, I'll tell you um, what, man. Bro, saying this guy's going to become my favorite. Okay, number, he's going to be your number three, then. He's going to be your number three. You're number three, okay? We'll go with number three. up there, bro. That's why I said number three, because like one is John Hart, two is Bukowski, three is going to be Chris Carter. And the only reason I'm confident in saying that is because... Bold statement. It's a bold-ass statement. But for me, the reason I put him up there is uh, something a lot of people don't know. Is I'm actually, I've been writing a crime novel for the last five years. Oh, me too. So, yeah, it's what we do, like just in the background. So I've been writing this thing and uh, my lead character looks like fucking Keanu Reeves. That's who I, who I've based his mannerisms okay. on. So at the time I was very much like, why do crime novels not get graphic enough? Like they, they stop at a certain point. There's a line that they just hard stop on from everything I've read. And then my friend said, read Chris Carter. Bro, I read that book. It is so graphically, beautifully written that you can literally taste the murder. Like you can read it and you're like, oh, I feel like I was right there. <laughs> so, and, and again, that sounds crazy as fuck, but like from a literary standpoint, if you can make you feel like you were there, there were times I turned my head away. I was like, oh, I can't believe I just read that. It, it's like, that's the first book. Um, his first five novels were incredible. The last three, they kind of pull away, but his last one, which is his first sequel that he did from one of the other books, it was hands down amazing. Like it had me in suspense every single way. Step what was away. that one? Uh, that, so you need to read An Evil Mind first to actually read the second one, which is Hunting Evil. So An okay. Evil Mind and then Hunting Evil, but start with The Crucifix Killer because you will love it. Um, and I know we are slightly. Have you, ever read, have you ever seen Sean King's Story Grid book? Nope, that is going on my list. Oh, that's a great one for breaking down the structure of story. It's kind of how to be your own editor, um, uh, developmental editor. Fuck, he's done like a hundred New York Times bestsellers, dude. Which one was this one? Like Sean King. Sean Coin. Coin, yeah. I believe it's S H A W N and then C O Y N E. It's called Story Grid. And oh, he story. breaks down Silence of the Lambs in it. It's, it's fucking fun. He's partners with uh, the Art of War guy. Um, Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, that's the war. Yeah, War of Art. The yeah, war. war of Art. Stephen Pressfield. They're, they're partners. Um, phenomenal. Fucking phenomenal. So if you're writing fucking novels, dude. Yeah. I've gone, I, I love, I've gone through like 100 of these books on how to write fiction and stories. That fascinates me. 
Oh, same here. Chris uh, Brooker's book is still one of my favorites. The seven basic plot, plot points, seven, seven basic story plots. I think it's called. By who? Uh, Chris Brooker. Chris Brooker. So it's Christopher Brooker. Uh, and hold on, seven stories is what seven seven basic plot seven basic plots is his book. It is a 738-page book that basically breaks down the seven universal stories that we constantly tell. Oh, very cool. I, think I love that. shit like that, dude. Well, I'm a, I, mean, I like to learn shit if I'm getting into something. Same. Well, I, I go... I go. Paul coming up, man. I, right. uh, so we'll wrap I, this up real quick. Oh, dude, thank you for being here. I appreciate it so much. Guys, go check out chrismacombs.net. Apply everything this man has said. Go back over this There's all kinds of opt-in boxes everywhere. Put in yep. your fucking email. He's finally I'll... fucking blogging again. You have no idea how good this feels. You guys are going to love it. And also, he's the inspiration behind me getting back into blogging. So blame him uh, if you guys get mad at me about it. What you do with it, man. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. Peace out and see you next week. Yes. Thanks, bro. Thanks, guys.